0: Well, good morning, church. How are we? Amen, amen, and amen. I'm excited today. I am very excited. This has been one of the moments that I have been waiting for because today, I believe somebody's going to rise up. I do. I believe today there is going to be a breakthrough in someone's life today. That that faith is going to just break forth in their heart. That, That what's been holding you back and what has been weighing you down is going to be done away with in this place today. I believe that God is going to raise some people up today. Tap your neighbor on the shoulder and tell them, I'm going to raise up today. And you can too. I'm going to rise up in this place today, we've been going through this series of psalms, some of my favorite psalms in the book of Psalms in the Bible uh, over the course of my spiritual journey as a, a worship leader and my studies, and and today we've come to Psalm chapter 149, verses six through nine. Uh, the verses will be on the screen, but if you have your Bible with you, you can navigate there now. Just go to the center of the Bible, flip it open, and you should be in Psalms somewhere. And uh, flip to the next to the last chapter in uh, the book of Psalms. Psalm 149, verses 6 through 9. Here's what God's word says. It says, Let the praises of God be in their mouths and a sharp sword in their hands, to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with shackles and leaders with iron chains, to execute the judgment written against them, This is the glorious privilege of his faithful ones. Praise the Lord. So today we're going to talk about a very simple truth. Something that each and every one of us are involved in, whether we realize it or not. And the truth is that worship is warfare. Worship is warfare warfare. You are in a war. And no, this chapter of the Bible is not a call for Christian jihad, right? This isn't for us to, uh, the psalmist is not asking us to take up arms and begin to slaughter all the infidels or the people that don't believe like us. No, that's not what is happening here. This is a prophecy, This is a prophetic word of the day of the Lord when Jesus returns to set up his eternal kingdom and the church of Jesus Christ reigns with him. Rules forever, defeating all of his enemies, putting an end to sin and death and Satan and his angels and everything causing problems in this world. This is this prophetic uh, vision of the church ruling in victory with Jesus Christ. So as we're reading this song, this is a a song that's inspiring hope, that's getting us to look ahead to what is yet to come. But something I see here in this psalm, in Psalm 149 in verse 6, this is our key verse today. Something that I think we can and should be applying to our lives is that, number one, Psalm 149 verse 6 is a plea for the people of God to rise up in worship to rise up. Verse 6 says, let the praises of God be in their mouths. That doesn't mean the praises of God will be in their mouths, but it means it can be in their mouths, that it should be in their mouths. Let the praises of God be in their mouths. And number two, it's a call to faith-based action. It says, and a sharp sword in their hands. This is that symbology of warfare. It's a proactive action against a foe, an enemy or a struggle. So let the praises of God be in their mouths and a sharp sword in their hand. And the first thing I want to talk about today is I want to look at this plea for worship. This plea to the people of God to rise up in worship. So we started this series about this phrase that God is my song. We sang a song earlier that says you are my sweet sweet song. That means our God is everything. He's everything. He's not just the content or the, or the content of the words of our songs, but that he is what my soul sings out for, yearns for. He is the source of my strength, my hope, and my blessing. James, the brother of Jesus, in James chapter 1 verse 17, he says, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights and And the heavens. Our God is the source of all that is good. All that we desire, all that we long for, everything good comes from God. And through this series, we talked about that if we want to truly be spiritually healthy, we have to have the faith and we want to have the faith and strength to weather the storms of life, to overcome the obstacles and trials that we experience on the path to fulfill God's plan for us. To the path to realize our greatest potential in Jesus Christ. And it begins with recognizing that God is all we need. We need nothing else but our God. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about de- God declared in his first commandment that we should have no other gods before him. That his people should have no other gods. That our God gets to be the only God. And it's not because God is selfish. It's not that God wants something from us, but rather God wants something for us. He has a good plan for us, blessings stored up for us, restoration prepared for us, grace and mercy and love he pours down and crowns us with. God has made himself entirely available to us, and it's through repentance, That we turn from the gods that we have created for ourselves, the false and foreign altars that we so often bow down to, to access the good things he has in store. Because repentance refocuses us away from our sin and in toward the glory of God. Repentance restores our focus of our worship in the battle. We studied that all through Scripture, repentance is a major theme because as fallen, sinful human beings, until Jesus comes back and makes all things new, he gives us our new bodies that are free from the curse of sin and death, we are caught in a kind of spiritual tug of war. A war between God's Spirit in us, if you are a follower of Christ, and our sinful nature. There's this tug of war, this back and forth, constantly happening inside of us. And our enemy, Satan, he also has a plan. God has a plan for good. Satan has a plan to steal, kill, and destroy. And the way he works out that plan in our lives is by leading you away from the worship of the one true God to bow down at another altar, to sin, to create false gods for yourself as you follow your fleshly or sinful desires and your own wisdom, Which means that every day, every day for a follower of Jesus Christ, a believer in the Messiah, the Son of God, we have a choice to make as his church. The choice is, is which God will we worship? Which God? The God of heaven and earth or the gods of our own making? And that is the tension where we live. The tension we wake up to every day, not from struggle to struggle which is what it feels like, but it's a tension from altar to altar. We are caught up in a worship war, not over what style of music we should be singing in the church, but over a war about which God we will worship with our very lives. And the more we worship other gods, the more defeated or defeat we'll experience, the more heartache and pain We'll experience The more complication we have in our lives, the weaker we'll begin to feel emotionally and spiritually, and the more depressed and hopeless we will be throughout our day. And the lie Satan has been telling us from the very beginning of creation is that God doesn't know what he's talking about. God can't be trusted. That big, dusty Bible on your coffee table, yeah, that's not relevant to you anymore. We've evolved past that. See, if you remember the story in the garden, Satan had a conversation with Eve, and he tempted Eve with the fruit of the tree that God said, don't eat. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, the Word of God says this. It says, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So not only did Satan get Eve to only focus on the good parts of the tree, but the problem is that the tree... It had a name, and its full name was the tree of the knowledge of good and what? Evil. It wasn't just good. It was good and evil. You see, when we are tempted with something that is outside of the will of God, that goes against what he says in his word, when we're tempted to worship false gods or bow down at altars to foreign gods in our lives, what Satan does is he gets us to only focus on the part that is good that is attractive, that seems to be pleasing. You know, if sin wasn't enjoyable, none of us would do it. Sin is pleasurable. It is enjoyable. And Satan gets us to only focus on those good parts, how good it's going to make us feel, the good benefits for us in that moment. And in Eve's case, he got her to focus on the wisdom the fruit would give her. But what we don't see in the moment of temptation. What we're not focusing on in that moment, we give in to sin and we begin to worship false gods with our lives is all the evil that is going to be unleashed as we bow down at a foreign altar. We don't see the pain that comes with living an immoral life, a life outside of God's will for us. We don't see the pain of drug addiction when we're hanging with our friends and are thinking about trying it for the first time. We don't see the pain of sorrow when it comes to making a decision about a pregnancy that goes against God's will and design and plan for human flourishing. We don't see the heartache that comes along with the temptation. And as we fall to prey to Satan's game over and over and over again, it starts off as a little temptation, a little sin, something that's not really a big deal or going to make a big impact. A little bit of time spent worshiping at foreign altars, but eventually that temptation leads us into a life that is immersed in destructive thoughts, destructive decisions, destructive behaviors and habits. It wears us down emotionally, spiritually, until we get to the place where we feel like we have nothing left to give. What is supposed to be an abundant life of joy, of blessing, of peace that comes from God ends up being a depressing life of hopelessness and sorrow where we even contemplate giving up our own lives, the very gift God has given us because through our worship of false gods, we end up in a spiritual desert. And David, one of Israel's mightiest kings, he had everything, fame, fortune, renown, an unstoppable army. He made a decision to worship at a false uh, god's altar, and he sinned against the Lord by committing adultery and having his best friend killed, and different events unfolded in his life as a result of that worship uh, to the false god, and he lost his crown, he lost his kingdom to his son who tried to kill him, to try to take his own life. And as David is wandering the desert, in Psalm chapter 63 He writes a song kind of relenting, uh, refocusing his life on realizing what he had done. And in Psalm 63, here are David's words. He says, Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you and is parched in weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in your sanctuary. I've gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer, for you satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. What David recognized is that his sin, his temptations, The altars of the foreign gods that Satan was trying to lead him to bowing to, that was only an illusion of satisfaction. But the fact is is that it was like drinking a pitcher of salt water. The more he drank, the thirstier and thirstier he became. And this world that we live in, that we wake up to each day, is a spiritual desert. It's a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. It has nothing that can satisfy the legends the chart topping band the rolling stones said something very famous it says i can't get no what satisfaction i try and i try and i try but what no no I involve and engage myself in all the world's delicacies. I bow at every foreign altar that seems attractive to the eye, but I cannot get any satisfaction. It's because satisfaction doesn't come from the world. It comes from the Lord. And we fall for these same traps. When we follow the allure of temptation rather than pursue the heart and will of God. In Jeremiah chapter 2, God sends a word to the prophet Jeremiah. And as he's speaking to the prophet, he's, he's having him declare this word over the people. And, and God begins by talking about how the nation of Israel had great zeal and great faith and wanted to honor God in all they did. And because they honored God in every way, God was able to pour over them a great blessing. They were a great, prosperous nation. But over the time, they became apathetic, and their hearts began to drift away from God, and as a result, they began to turn to false idols and commit sin against the Lord. Their worship changed direction. In verse 13 of Jeremiah chapter 2, God brings some charges against the people. He says this, he says, For my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. What we see here is that God doesn't want anything from us. He wants something for us. He is the fountain of living water, which means he wants to continually pour himself into you. He wants to nourish you. He wants to sustain you. He wants to bless you. He wants you to experience the greatest life you can on this earth, to have incredible blessing and peace. And Christ's death and resurrection uh, has given us, as the children of God, the power to overcome the power of sin and death at work in our lives, the things that create pain and suffering. But that can only happen if we're connected to the source of that abundant life, to the fountain of living water, the very life Jesus came to give us. Jesus said, I have come that that they may have life and life abundantly or overflowing. God's not content with just filling you up. He wants to fill you to the point that you continually run over into other places. And here in the book of Jeremiah, the two charges brought against Israel were this. Number one is that you have abandoned me. The people of God had abandoned God, the source of living water. They never sought after God for their satisfaction. And just like today... We constantly find ourselves looking for new sources of satisfaction in this life. We run to many things. We make idols out of many things, insignificant to very significant. The things we obsess about, the thing we give our lives over to, every impulse, every good feeling in the moment, everything that we think will make us comfortable, secure, and happy. We fill our minds with garbage, and like Israel, our hearts begin to slowly wander away, and we're left feeling empty. Because we abandon the source, the fountain of living water. We abandon him with our priorities. We abandon him with our goals and plans and our desires. Because our sin nature is constantly pulling us away from God. And Satan is making it easier and easier each and every day. You may ask, well, why does this happen? Why do we naturally drift away from God? And look at the second accusation, number two. It says our cisterns are cracked. Our cisterns are cracked. Tap your neighbor and tell them, you're cracked. You're cracked. That's a modern-day slingo for you're crazy. I think that's probably true in this place. You cracked today, man. And, and if you don't have a neighbor to tap for the tap your neighbor portions of the service, you need to quit being a snob and sit by somebody. That's what I'm saying. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just playing. There you are. But our cisterns are correct. A cistern is a container that holds water. And here in Jeremiah, it's symbolizing the container that holds our lives together, the things that we build our lives around and center our lives around. And the abundant life that we've been given through Jesus, it leaks out. It's drained out when we're, when we're using to accumulate that living water isn't up to God's standard. It's not quality, it's not holy. It's not good enough because it can't hold that abundant life. It can't hold the hope, the joy, the peace, the grace, the mercy, and the love. So when times get tough and we have nothing left in our spiritual reserves to sustain us because our cisterns are cracked, we are spiritually drained. And we have nothing to dip into, to hold on to. We have nothing left to give emotionally or spiritually. Nothing left to offer because we can't endure our circumstances any longer. The anxiety is through the roof. The emotions are through the roof. Our whole world seems to be crashing down because we have abandoned God and dug for ourselves cisterns that are cracked. Just ask yourself this question. When the shaking of life comes, when your world gets rocked, when trouble comes, is that TV show you're so obsessed with day in and day out going to save you? When the shaking comes, is that drug you're addicted to going to solve your problems? When the shaking comes, is that impure relationship going to solve your issues? Like being sexually active with someone who's not your spouse, is that going to bring healing to your soul when the shaking comes? When the shaking comes and your life is crashing down when you have nothing left to live for, will that time you took a road trip on spring break and lived without inhibitions going to rescue you? When the shaking comes, are your experiences going to be enough to keep your head above water? and sustain your hope? When the shaking comes and you lose a loved one or you're diagnosed with a deadly disease, is your income going to satisfy you? When the shaking comes, are your nice clothes, your car, your home going to be enough to keep your life together, moving forward in victory in that circumstance? And the answer is unequivocally no. It's not. Why? Because this world is a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Only faith can do that. Only faith and hope in Jesus. Trust in God is enough to sustain you. And the cisterns we build for ourselves in this world are cracked, leaking out those resources we need to rise up and overcome. But since we've turned away from God by the way we live our lives practically to turn and invest into the things of this world, we've restricted our access to the river of abundant life and replaced what we have and are unable to replace what we have that's lost through the crack, because the barriers we've erected for ourselves and the baggage that we've acquired for ourselves and the things we've enslaved ourselves to that cripples our relationships eventually lead us away from God, away from accessing all that he has. And because we're prideful and arrogant people, when we get to that point where we have nothing left to give, we turn and we say, God, why did you let this happen to me? We blame God and we give up on faith altogether ultimately because of our very own decisions. We become so spiritually weak that we end up accepting our brokenness, giving in to the plan of the enemy because his plan is to steal, kill, and destroy. The more we worship false gods, the more we bow down at foreign altars, the more brokenness he can bring into our lives. The more abundant life resources he can steal from our cisterns. And we, we get to that point where we have nothing left, where we accept our brokenness, we accept our situation. We start saying things like, oh man, you know what, I'll never be healed. I can never change. I'm never gonna overcome this, so what's the point? God's not gonna come through. God won't answer my prayer. God doesn't love me, so why bother? Why try to do good anymore? I'm just gonna give in. I'm just gonna accept this as part of who I am. And with that frame of mind when the enemy gets us to that point when we have that frame of mind, we remain defeated, weak, spiritually ineffective because that's what Satan wants. That's the way he wants us to be. But if we would hear that call from the psalmist, that call to praise. Don't sing the tune of the enemy, don't agree with his plans. Don't fall for his temptations. Don't believe the lies that he spews to you. But let the praise of God be in your mouth. Declare the truth. Proclaim his promises. Proclaim his greatness. Not just with your words or with your voices, but with your very lives. Answering that call to action, you're going to see some things change. You're going to see the world in a way you've never seen it before. You see, the answer for that plea of worship, when we answer that call, faith rises in our hearts and moves us into the second part of Psalm 149.6. It moves us into faith-based action. Because worship is warfare. Psalm 149.6, where it says, let the praises, that phrase, let the praises, that's the word in the original language, "romema." Say that. Rome ma. Rome ma. Let the praises, Rome ma, which means uplifting or arising or rise up. Rise up. The psalmist is calling you in the praise of God and in your worship to rise up to action because worship is warfare. It is the battleground for our hearts. Who we will pursue, what and how we will pursue it. And the battlefield where this war is waged is in the battlefield of our faith and obedience. Now, every one of us in this room, we have issues. We all have issues. But what I find that is all too common among us, even in the church, is that the reason we get stuck in depression and in defeat and in a hopelessness is because there is no me ma. There is no up. Rising, There is no rising up. Jesus said that in the last days, true worshipers will arise to worship in spirit and in truth. And I believe he's calling on us and calling us in this day to be that people, to arise, to worship. But we stay stuck right where we are, in the frame of mind that the enemy has planned for us, fearfully waiting on God to swoop down in his chariot of fire, towing his miracle in hand, towing his blessing in hand, his good report in hand, his good news in hand, before we feel confident enough to act on our faith, to rise up. It's either because we lack the knowledge of what to do or just plainly the faith to do it. And that reminds me of a story in Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, Peter heals a crippled beggar. In Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, and so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, Look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. And Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then, walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. This is an incredible story. See, the lame man... He was consumed with his disability. It dominated his entire life. It dictated everything from what he did each day to even what he thought about himself. To what he dreamed about being possible in his life. Think about it for a minute. Do you think that if he thought his situation could be different, that he could change his situation, that he would have hung out at the temple each and every day begging for money? No way. Do you think that if he believed he could be healed, that his situation could change, that he would have allowed himself to stay stuck in that routine for year after year after year after year? And the answer is no. The man was hopeless. He accepted his reality. He succumbed to his reality, accepting the fact that nothing could be different, that he was defeated, too weak to overcome, and that all he could do is what he could do to survive. But not only was he stuck accepting his situation, but so were the people around him. The people had known him from birth, and each day they brought him to the same spot at the temple because they didn't believe he could be healed or change his situation either. You see, sometimes our depression, our negativity, the tension we feel in our circumstances becomes exacerbated or larger than what they are because of the lack of faith and hope in those that speak into our lives. People are more critical. Their criticisms overshadow their encouragement. And their constant messages of weakness, hopelessness, doubt, and defeat feed our already negative thoughts. But if the people, if the people in my life, knowing the issues that I have, if they feel like I'm a lost cause, that I can never change, that I'll never be good enough or grow or succeed in what I want to do, I'll never be smart enough to qualify, that I'm not capable enough, yada, yada, yada. If that's what the people in my life think about me and say to me, man, that's hard for a person to overcome. That's hard for a person to hope beyond that, to believe beyond that what the enemy uses to feed our hopelessness and to keep us in that place of acceptance of our situation but what i like about the story is not that peter exercised his authority over this man's disability using the name of jesus and reached down his hand but what i think is amazing about the story is that the miracle the healing didn't take place right away look what happened in verse seven says peter took the lame man by the right hand helped him up And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. See, Peter said, be healed in Jesus' name. Peter reached down his hand. But the man wasn't healed until he took Peter's hand and began to rise up. It wasn't in the words that were spoken that healed the man. It was in the act of obedience. It was in the faith-based action in response to faith in the name of Jesus that brought the healing. It was in the rising up, in the picking himself up, the walking in the reality of his healing. See, when he was declared to be healed by Peter, he didn't feel healed. He didn't see his healing, but he rose up in faith anyway. He walked in the truth declared over him, that by the stripes of Jesus Christ and the power of his name, he was healed. And so many of us are in that place. We are are at the gate, laying on our mat, waiting for someone to come by and hand us a miracle. We're waiting on full restoration before we change what we think about our situation and what we're doing about it. Because we've allowed our identity, who we think we are, what we're capable of doing, to be enslaved by the struggle that we're dealing with. Not by force, but by choice. We enslave ourselves when we accept the reality of our situation over the truth of God. The truth was the man was healed. And he had to make a choice. Do I believe it or not? We believe the lies over the truth. And in essence, we become willingly worshipers at the altars of foreign gods. Giving them authority over us. We worship our false gods. We worship our enemy, when we believe his lies over the truth. And it's in how we think and how we speak and in how we behave. The question I have for you today is, what identity have you enslaved yourself to? What altar, what false god, what circumstance have you enslaved yourself to and began accepting and believing? What circumstance in your life is keeping you defeated, lying on the mat today? What have you allowed to come between you and the fountain of living water, between you and what Jesus has already made available to you? What have you been enslaving yourself to? What have you been accepting? So God's word, I believe, for someone here today, is that you need to quit lying on the mat. And ro-me-ma. You need to rise up, You need to rise up. Get a hold of your faith and stand to your feet. Grab a hold of that sharp two-edged sword, which is the word of God, and go to war through your worship. See, as the man began to stand, strength returned to his legs and feet. And soon he went from walking to leaping and dancing. And some of you want to go right from being crippled to dancing. But sometimes it doesn't work that way. Sometimes miracles come one step after another. I take a little step of faith here, and a little step of faith here, and a little step of faith here. And before long, you are running like you've never run before. Dancing like you've never danced before. But it's a journey, not a moment. But because you can't leap right now, because you're still on that mat, unable to stand, you don't even try to rise up because you've accepted your situation. Right now in your situation, it seems like an impossibility. And some of the things we go through, man, it seems like it's never going to be over. It's never going to change. Things can never get better. And the words of the people around us can be more negative and depressing than the thoughts we allow to bounce around in our minds. But God is revealing us today that if we would take him at his word, if we would rise up, we will have the grace that we need. To persevere, we will have the power to overcome the tension in our lives as each step of faith leads us closer and closer to victory. For someone here today, you've, you've accepted your struggle and you've gotten comfortable on your mat and you've even given up on your miracle. And the truth is be honest today, the truth is the miracle isn't coming, victory isn't coming. It's already here. It's already here. God, who is the source of everlasting life, has plunged you deep into the fountain of abundant life. If you were a follower and believer in Jesus Christ, he's given you access to drink of that fountain until it overflows in your life. Right now. You don't have to wait for it. In John chapter 20, 31, The Apostle John said this, he says, These are written, talking about the scriptures, so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, you will have life by the power of His name. Do you believe there's power in the name of Jesus today? Then rise up and take a step. Do you believe His name is greater than your situation? Then rise up and take a step. Do you believe his name is greater than your sickness? Then rise up and take a step. Do you believe his name is greater than the strife in your relationship? Then rise up and take a step. You see, the problem isn't that we're ignorant of his promises. The problem is we lack the faith to rise up and take a step, to believe beyond, to hope beyond the problems in our lives. In John chapter 10, 24 through 25 The people surrounded him and asked, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. And Jesus replied, I have already told you. And you don't believe. The proof is in the work I do in my Father's name. And there's some of you here today, you know who he is because you have already been told. But you're waiting for something." You're waiting for something before you can go all in with your faith, before you're willing to rise up in Jesus' name. Jesus continues, John 10, 38, he says, but if I do his work, believe in the evidence of the miracle, miraculous works that I've done, even if you don't believe in me, then you will know and understand the Father is in me and I am in the Father. What Jesus is saying is that the proof is in the pudding, y'all. If you don't believe, rise up and see what happens. Look at what I've done. Believe in the works. Believe in what I've accomplished. Believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ because that proves I am who I say I am. That proves the power of my name. Believe in me. Come drink from the fountain of living water. Take my hand. Rise up and walk out of your situation and into my victory. See, as the church, we are meant to rise, to be the people who rise up in spirit and in truth. We praise in expectation of victory, and we walk taking steps of faith in response of victory. We have so much anxiety about change, even we know the change will be for our good. We don't like to be stretched, even though we recognize God has to stretch us if we're able to grow. And today, God is asking you to let him stretch you. He's asking you to grow your faith. Because the more your faith grows, the more living water that brings abundant life he can pour into your cistern. Turn away from the lies of the enemy. Put down the false idols that have dominated your life. Walk away from those foreign altars and rise up to the praises of God. Let the praises of God be in your mouth and a sharp sword in your hand. Wake up each day to the war and wage it for the glory of God with the worship of our great God and King. What is in your life today that you've been waiting to be delivered from? What pain are you harboring? What's been dominating your life? What have you been allowing to enslave you? Whose altar have you been bowing to today? Right now, right where you are, in this place, you need to decide enough is enough. The lies will not dominate me anymore. The sickness will not enslave me anymore. The relationship will not keep me back anymore. My past cannot hold me back anymore. The temptation no longer has power over me anymore. Today I choose to wage the war with my worship. I choose to rise up out of my situation and my victory through the power of Jesus' name. If that's you here today in this place under the sound of my voice, then I challenge you right where you are to stand to your feet. Stand up. Rise up in victory. Rise up in this place. And together with your hands lifted to hide to the sky, to the glory of the Lord, declare this with me. Speak this with all you can. See, I'm rising up over the lies of the enemy. I'm rising up over the pain of my past. I'm rising up over my current situation. I'm rising up over my sickness. I'm rising up over my barriers. Today... I'm rising up in Jesus' name. And the church together agrees by saying, Amen. Praise God. Let's all stand together.